All right, the plan is that our friend Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com is joining us right now. Let's see. How's our plan working out? <laughs> the plan is working out <laughs> fine, Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good morning, Bill. Well, good morning. Have you ever had one of those, the plan is, the plan has changed kind of days? <laughs> Most of my days mm-hmm. uh, go like that. I had, mm-hmm. uh, I think, I average between 24 and 28 appointments a week or meetings a week. And yesterday I had six of them lined up and four of them either moved or canceled for whatever reason. So, <laughs> All right, four. Let's see. Yesterday was Tuesday. I don't know. If you, if you only had four on Tuesday, are you on track to, to have 24 to 28 in a week? I don't know. Well, well I, I had six. Have... I, I had six scheduled and four of them moved or canceled or whatever. So, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, your average has to be pretty high every day if you're going to have 24 to 28 meetings a week. I don't know. That's a lot. Yeah, I, it seems like a lot. It is a lot. And, and I don't wear it as a badge of honor. I'll put it that I way. Have, I have a... um. It's it's blue. It's a ribbon. It's like an award ribbon. It's hanging right here next to my desk, and it says, "I survived another meeting that should have been an email." And yeah. periodically, I move that award. I give myself that award periodically when I have to attend a meeting that should have been an email. I'm yeah, just gonna go ahead um, and confess that. I'm confessing that right now. Are you? Mm-hmm. Well, um, mm-hmm. thank you for I'm doing so- that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm so glad um I'm so glad you're here. Um let's talk about hearing the voice of God while in the midst of making an ethical decision. So this is um this is something you've got posted at bibleandbusiness.com. So if you're listening right now, you can check out um Bill's entire piece on this, hearing the voice of God in ethical decision making. So I want to hear the voice of God in all of my decision making, but particularly when I am making um uh, you know, a quote-unquote ethical decision. So can you talk about decisions in general and then um, how we hear the voice of God in the midst of making a decision that does require an ethical choice? Yeah, so this this article was written as part of a, a larger series on ethics, as you know, and I I landed as a starting point on ethics of, of the two great commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And to take the, that would be the starting point, and then uh, for all ethical decisions, and then the Ten Commandments will kind of flesh that out a little bit. So for a for a matrix of making ethical decisions, it was those two commands, and the second tier was the Ten Commandments. But I also didn't want ethical decision making for a Christian to be strictly an intellectual mm. uh, matrix, right? And so uh, the scriptures have uh, just a truckload to say about hearing the voice of God. And so I didn't want ethical decision-making to be merely an intellectual exercise. I also think it's a dynamic spiritual activity uh, where God speaks through his commands, speaks through the scriptures, and applies them in very unique ways to a person's given uh, situation and helps helps the person understand God's heart as well as God's mind when it comes to making difficult decisions in, in ethical situations. So uh, your second question was, you know, can we hear the voice of God? My short answer is yes. The longer answer is in the article, but uh, the God has an audible voice, 
but the scriptures talk a lot more about his inaudible voice. So, for example, in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his work. Uh, this is the ESV. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So clearly the heavens are speaking to us, but it's not an audible voice. Um, the uh, uh, Another scripture here from Romans 1, 19 and 20, since what may be known about God is plain to them, them is our, our people who don't believe in God, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Again, God is communicating about his eternal power and divine nature through the physical creation, right? But it's not an audible voice, but it is a voice that can be heard, and it is a voice that is discernible. And so uh, can can people, can Christians hear God's voice? And obviously, to me, the answer is yes, and um and that is a voice that uh, when our spirits are regenerated, we can learn to um, hear what 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 the Spirit says. And uh, if I can just go to John 16, I don't know if I have time before you want to do the yeah, break Yeah, sure, here, go but, ahead, man. Absolutely. But, but, in John, but in John 16, Christ is talking to his disciples, right? And he has, says this. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, the spirit will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And he'll glorify me because it is from me that he will receive, and he will make known to you. Uh, the spirit will receive from me, and he will make it known to you. Again, that's not an audible voice that the spirit uses, right? But the mm-hmm. spirit does talk to us, and he does he does let us know what is on God's mind and in God's heart. It's a spiritual activity. It's not bonkersness. It's not uh, hallucinations. It's not delusions. It is a spiritual activity that only disciples of Jesus Christ will really understand. Yeah, that that is so good. Um, the the reality that God speaks through creation. So there's there's plenty of evidence. Um, God speaks specifically in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. He speaks through the person and the work of Jesus, and we bring all of that to bear as we seek to hear God with ears that hear and minds that understand. Because I do think there's this huge difference between um, saying that I want to hear God and actually listening, actually like listening with ears that hear and then with a willingness for um, to be brought into conformity with his will, you know, just to get my own will out of the way is sometimes very, very difficult um, when we hear God, particularly when there's an ethical decision to be made and we we know, we perceive what the will of God is. We just are resistant in terms of being obedient to it. So that's probably the the second part, hearing the voice of God in an ethical decision and then actually obeying it. Like obedi- obedience <laughs> is, the, is the right and righteous response to hearing the voice of God. The more we humble ourselves before the Lord, the more we will hear his voice. The more we lift ourselves up, the more confused and the more noisy uh, the spiritual world will become. Mm. Amen. 
Amen. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Bill English here in just a moment. Bibleandbusiness.com. That is uh, the website where you can not just read this particular piece on hearing the voice of God in an ethical decision, but the series um, on that as well, and tons of other great resources, including Bill's books. When we come back, um, we're going to talk about something that is happening in the culture. In in several states across the country, um, there, there are laws being changed in order to allow churches and other houses of worship to use their property in creative ways to um, to help those who are unhoused. So how are churches engaging with homelessness across the country um, and how are states setting aside laws um, to allow houses of worship um, to use their property in creative ways? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Our friend Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com is here with us uh, today. Um, Bill, uh, in in places across the country as diverse as Minnesota and California and and other um, some other places as well, uh, obviously homelessness is a terribly... Um, it's a terrible issue. It's growing. Uh, just so many people are unhoused. And there are churches and other houses of worship with all kinds of property in the vicinity of folks who are homeless. So what are some creative things that states are doing to um, to allow you know folks of goodwill to use those properties in ways that, that serve the most needy in their communities? Yeah, so both uh, both California and Minnesota have passed laws that allow churches to bypass most zoning ordinance, local zoning ordinances, if they uh, choose to put up what are called tiny homes or build tiny home villages on their properties to house the homeless. And uh, the the thought is uh, that these tiny homes will get uh, the homeless people off the street that it is more humane for them to be in a tiny home rather than sleeping on a street or in some dumpy car somewhere. Um, And the idea is that uh, once they're in the tiny homes, then county caseworkers can work with them uh, to help them find uh, permanent housing, right? Um, On the face of it, what I like about this on the face of it is that the church Churches are starting to step up and say homelessness isn't just a government societal problem that needs to be solved. We think we can be part of the solution. And uh, if there's any kind of common criticism I've had for uh, evangelicals uh, nationwide, it is that we have abandoned in many situations uh, dealing with the poor because we know the government will step in and do it. So we're let Mm -hmm. off the hook, right? And uh, what I like about this is that um, uh, evangelicals can start to engage in meaningful ways. Uh, the The other side of this is that some say it sustains homelessness. It does not. Uh, it does not really solve anything. Uh, the tiny homes are not the same as affordable housing, which, especially in California, there's uh, just a huge problem of getting affordable housing for people. 
And that these tiny homes oftentimes don't come with plumbing. They don't come with electric. They don't come with any trash removal. They don't come with any furniture. And so, you know, what are, what are you really doing for them? Well, you're, you're putting a roof over their head, but then the churches are having to open up common areas of their churches on a 24 by 7 basis to give the, these homeless folks a place to use the bathroom, maybe to, to take a sponge bath, to use the kitchen so they can prepare meals and that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I, I think the tiny homes, uh, from what I could see when I looked at it, Carmen, uh, I was looking at it as a, as a transitional peace we we can get people into these tiny homes churches can build them uh but in the long run uh getting people into meaningful work where they are self-sustaining with permanent housing and their mental health issues are taken care of maybe family relationship issues are are taken care of and they're they're becoming a contributing member of society i think that's a much larger um solution than just uh building some tiny homes on a church parking lot Mayfield, Kentucky, Nashville, Tennessee, Tacoma, Washington, San Francisco, El Cajon, mm-hmm. California, St. Paul, Minnesota, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, yeah, it's all it's, over. This is, yeah, this is happening um, in, in places all over the country. So if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, hey, um, I, I, I know that my community has, uh, is facing this challenge. Um, I, see, I see unhoused people. I'm concerned about this. I also recognize that there are churches in my community with um, the in proximity to people who are unhoused. This is the other part of this, right? It, it needs to be a church uh, campus that's already in proximity to where people who are unhoused are choosing to live. And that is a, that is a difficult intersection of reality. Um, and so just think for a moment where you, where you see, where you encounter um, unhoused people in your community, in your city. And then I want you to think about a physical church campus that is geographically proximate already. Do they have a parking lot? Do they have an old ball field? Do they have um, you know, a portion of land that doesn't have something sitting on it already? And could that be a tiny home village? Transitional, again, as Bill says, I mean, you know, we're talking about something that is designed to be transitional. It's not designed to be permanent. Um, and in fact, <clears throat> even these, even the, the suspension of zoning laws is not permanent. Most of these laws have sunset clauses. And so yeah. even, you know, even the laws themselves are not designed uh, or indicate that this is not designed to be a permanent solution. Yes, Bill. Uh-oh, did I lose him? Uh, right. You know what? Oh. You're, the audio just cut out there for like hey. five Well, that's okay. Seconds. I was just I was just uh, agreeing with you and reaffirming that this was not, this is not designed to be a permanent solution, evidenced by the fact that even these laws are designed to sunset. But, you know, I, I appreciate the heart behind the laws, and I appreciate yeah. the effort. And this is what, you know, for, for all my conserv- my politically conservative friends out there, this is what states do they experiment with uh proposed solutions and they find out what works and what doesn't so hats off to uh some of these politicians for thinking outside the box and trying something new i suspect there's going to be unforeseen um collateral issues that crop up that that we'll learn from but um i'm glad people are taking a step in this direction and let's see how it goes
I remember a conversation that we had um, with uh, with a church or a or a ministry in Texas related to this as well. So yes, thank you to the person who said, "Didn't you talk about something like this with some ministry in Texas?" Yes, fishes and loaves maybe was the name of it. Tiny house community in uh, in Texas, which is uh, designed to also offer recovery, be a recovery community. This also links back um, for those of you who've been listening. Uh, this morning, this links back to the conversation that we had earlier earlier with Jeff Bilbro about living in intentional community, the, the, the co-housing movement. How might a tiny house community on uh, on an empty piece of church property become an experiment uh, of what it looks like to live in community with other people? Maybe a recovery environment um, where then, you know, from there, folks could maybe live in community uh, in, in a house, in a neighborhood, and then from there, um, live even more independently. I don't know. There's all kinds of ways to to move folks along a process from being unhoused and, and homeless with whatever constellation of challenges they're facing um, to a life that is free from all of that and free indeed in Christ. So, Bill, as always, man, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having yeah. me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, transformational change. Have you have you found something that, you know, is like a, I don't know, like a lever for transformational change in your life? Have you heard of silent walking? I mean, first of all, uh, silent walking just means like walking in silence. And we used to do it all the time. <clears throat> we used to do it all the time before 2007 when everyone ended up with a quote-unquote smartphone in their hand that made us all dumb. Um, before the era of the iPod, before we thought you should always have noise in your ears all the time, everywhere, before the advent, and this is a little self-defeating here, but before the advent of uh, listening to things all the time, everywhere, like podcasts, we did a lot of silent walking. The history of the world is a history of people walking silently from place to place. So silent walking. There's actually a movement among Gen Z. It was inspired by um, a TikTok influencer uh, who says that uh, this is an unintentionally started movement. No, no, uh, she didn't intentionally start this movement, but she was just sharing how walking silently had changed her life and how walking with no distractions, no AirPods, no podcasts, no music, just me, myself, and I is what she says. Now, I would say, you know, walking silently in the presence of the Lord um, changed her life. Getting to a place of quiet and silence changed her life. Um, how far did you walk yesterday? How many steps did you take? You probably have a step tracker. Um, are you walking silently with the Lord? Are you walking every step with Jesus? Are you walking with God in the cool of the day? Do you recognize that Jesus is walking with you in the wilderness or in the desolate place where you find yourself? Maybe you're walking through the valley of the shadow um, of death. Do you recognize that he is with you? Are you walking with Jesus? Think of all the places that Jesus walked and all the conversations he had with people along the way. What would it look like to spend some silent walking time today with the Lord. Jeff Allen is going to join us next. Um, and I happen to know that silence is something that he genuinely values 
Um, I've heard him talk about how the enemy uses ambient light and endless noise to wipe away God's influence in our lives. Uh, you may know Jeff Allen as a Christian comedian, uh, and he's going to join us next to just talk about his experience of dramatic transformation. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.